0: Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. The one and only One Broken Cog Podcast. I am Brian Olson, and my guest today is a true Renaissance woman, and her name is Jennifer Abels. Now, to give you some background on Jennifer, Jen has worn many hats in her life, from insurance underwriter to professional dancer to founder of a charity, Now, this journey took her from a cubicle in Philadelphia to White House guests and includes a flag being flown in her honor in Kandahar Airfield, Afghanistan. Now, her work has been featured on ABC, KUSI, and the CW, as well as the San Diego Union Tribune. Now, Jen was invited to attend the inaugural White House Summit of the United States of Women as a changemaker. She's also been a nominee for Woman of the Year by San Diego Magazine and Women Who Mean Business by the San Diego Business Journal. Now, she was a recipient of the Inspiration Award from the Center for Wealth and Legacy, has been recognized for outstanding service by the California State Senate. Jennifer, welcome to the One Broken Cog podcast. Brian, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure, and I hear that you are out there in sunny San Diego. I used to uh, go out there all the time, every summer. I used to go to this restaurant that had the best huevos rancheros on the planet. <laughs> you know, how difficult is it for you being locked down in such a beautiful city?
1: Um you know what I feel really fortunate that of all places to be locked down I'm in San Diego where even though things are locked down I can still be outside every single day I have a dog and she's my saving grace during this whole lockdown period but the weather's so great here that even when we're freezing you know which is anything below 70 right <laughs> um, even in the freezing cold I can still get outside and enjoy a nice walk there's so many great trails and so many great parks and go to the beach whatever it is <clears throat> it's, it's it's such an advantage to be here.
0: <laughs> no, I'm telling you, I used to always go to the Gaslamp District and yeah. had myself a ball. I was there for 4th of July. Just a great area, really. The traffic stinks going down there, but I think they have those toll roads, right? So They do. And,
1: and now, actually, traffic has changed dramatically since so many people are working from home. It's not quite as bad as it used to be.
0: Oh, okay. I'll have to head down there. I've I've just read an article about the best tacos in San Diego. So I'll have to head down there and give them a try.
1: (laughs) Oh, I have a, for my birthday, I usually do the best guacamole in San Diego tour. So you let me know when you're headed down this way.
0: Oh man, that'd be great. Yeah. We should sync up on that for sure. (laughs) Yeah. My dad for uh, Christmas gave me this huge case of Patron and it was like, oh man, what are you doing to me? But yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a gift that keeps giving.
0: Well, let me tell you for sure. Now, Jen, I know know, you're kind of the living embodiment of a lot of the aspirations of our listeners. I mean, you went out there, left corporate America to pursue your dreams, just went all in. I know you had a nine to five, you know, you were miserable. You felt that was the path you were supposed to go down. When was the moment you knew that you had to leave that corporate job and follow your dream? That's a great question
1: because I really did feel like I was doing what I was supposed to do and what society tells you 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 should do. And it just felt so out of sync with what I wanted to do. And I remember when I was, there's two, kind of two pieces to it. One was looking at the managers, the people above me that I'm supposed to aspire to. And I saw them stressed out. I saw them unhappy and they would verbally express that they felt stuck, that they didn't have a choice, that this is what they had to do. And I thought, oh my God, I don't, I don't want to end up like that. And But the real kicker for me was when I, my work started getting sloppy because I was enjoying what I was doing with my part-time work as a dance instructor versus my full-time work which was literally what was paying my bills and to be sloppy in my work is really out of integrity for me if i'm going to show up i'm going to do something i'm giving it 100%. so when i started to see my own ethic start to fall i was like i this is enough this isn't who you are like it's time to make a change. so i took that i took that leap of faith and left corporate world and I, so happy. <laughs> so That's happy that enough. I did. My migraines went away. I had a stomach ulcer that also went away. There was so much literally like f- physical change that happened doing a job that I loved that I couldn't wait to get to and that it was hard to leave in the evening.
0: That's horrible. That hor- I knew somebody that told me that every Sunday at five o'clock, this horrible stress would come up over her because she knew that she'd have to go to work the next day on Monday. And it was this horrible, debilitating issue that she had, and she could never get over it. So I'm sure that you can relate.
1: Yeah, I can relate
0: because I, you know, I started, even though though I was just in my twenties, I started to think about, I
1: spend the majority of my waking hours in this, in this office and I hate what I, what I'm doing. And like, this is what I'm supposed to aspire to how am I supposed to get through this? And I really struggled with the, the fact that this is what you're should do. Right. I have my degree. I have a business degree. I'm supposed to be working in business. This is like, and if you took that leap of faith, what does it mean about your business degree? Like, does that mean it was all a mistake? And, you know, so that's a lot of what I call like head trash that was going on for me. That was, you know, keeping me in limbo and then when I finally made that leap to teach dance for a living, I mean, running a dance studio is a business. You you can't, you don't just give away dance lessons. You have to sell dance lessons. You have to run a business. You have to have a certain number of students to come in. You have to pay the, you know, you have to pay the rent on the building that you're in. You still have electric bills to pay. It's still a business. So if I could just switch my, you know, my mind shift to like, you're still using your degree. You're still using your business sense. and There's so much that I gained in corporate America of an understanding of the type of stress that people are in, in corporate America, that when those same people then showed up as my dance students, I knew what they were going through. I knew about the stress that they were dealing with. I, I was there. I felt it. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. You should be here and let's dance (laughs) off some of that stress, you know, um, dance it out.
0: Yeah. There you go. Right. Get it. Get rid of it. Use it as an outlet. Yeah. Now, in the last position before you left, was there anything they could have done to keep you there in hindsight, or was it just a foregone conclusion you were out?
1: Interesting, interesting question. Um, I'm going to say with a definite maybe, a definite maybe, because my degree is in insurance and I really trended towards the human resources side of it because I'm more of a people person. I wanted to do something where I felt like I was making a difference on people's lives human resources, taking care of people. I had a very idealistic view of what that looked like and helping people get the healthcare that they needed and that sort of a thing. But the other side of insurance was where I ended up being stuck in underwriting. And particularly I was in property and Marine underwriting. So I was, you know, underwriting boilers and HVAC systems and household goods movers. And I didn't feel like I was making any kind of personal impact on the world by writing an insurance policy covering your boiler system and i kept asking to be put back into human resources and they kept saying you know just put in your time as an underwriter and then we'll move you over there and that that promise kept getting further and further away and i kept coming back and i kept asking and this was at the time of the, the late 90s when this internet thing was coming out And I found myself teaching people how to use the internet, teaching the older folks in my office about the internet, how to use this, how to look things up. And I was back into like that teaching and HR kind of training development role. And I loved that piece of it. And I kept asking to do more of that. And I kept not being heard. And that also was part of really the straw that broke the camel's back, where if I keep asking and they keep ignoring me, then why why would I stay where my opinion doesn't matter. My feelings don't matter. What I want doesn't seem to matter.
0: That's interesting. And we see that a lot. I mean, they didn't plug you in where your passion was. Right. And, and where I was definitely willing to
1: stay. Right. You know, when, the, when we were rolling out, if you remember Netscape, oh, I rolling do. out like Netscape to the office and teaching people, like for, for example, like in my world in insurance, in writing a property I need to know how close it is to water I need to know if flood insurance is going to be something that we have to look at hey look internet map look how close we are to water there we go really easy so I was like oh this is an exciting way to use technology I love to teach I've always taught something I've been teaching dance or music or leadership programs since I was since I graduated high school and I was like oh this this gets me doing what I love and I can be useful using talents and skills that I have and that I'm passionate about in insurance. Sure. That's fine. But when it was like, that's not your job. I'm like, I know, I know, but can it be? (laughs) We're a huge company, huge companies. We're not talking about like a small, we're talking about a multinational company. You there's room. There's definitely room.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And it sounded like they dangle that carrot in front of you for too long where you just lost your patience and said, forget it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, when you left, Jen, what sacrifices did you have to make in the beginning when you when you left that corporate position and started your own dance studio?
1: Um, well, <laughs> uh, big. I actually I worked for um, a nas- uh, an international franchise dance studio, so I didn't start my own um, studio. When I started my nonprofit, that was on my own, but that was uh, later in the, in the years. When I left to teach, um, I went to um, a, like I said, a world franchise dance studio. But the biggest part of it obviously was essentially cut my salary in half. And, you know, when you're young and just starting out, that might not seem like a lot, but there's security, there's certainty, there's a clear career path when you're in that corporate life. Um, You know, there's, there's benefits, there's all these things that moving into, becoming a, a dance instructor and eventually managing the studio. I mean, yes, I had a salary, but it was also based on commissions. So it was like a new, a new level of, okay, this is my income, but nothing is guaranteed. I have to, you know, I was, was my first, <laughs> first foray into what commission life looked like. So there, that was a big piece of it, but also there's a risk involved of if I'm physically hurt, can I teach where, like, if I broke my, foot, I could still be an underwriter. (laughs) But if I break break my foot, it's real hard to be a dance teacher. So you know there's a there's that also uncertainty that comes with it. That's definitely a riskier proposition, which ironically with a degree in risk management, that's (laughs) that's where I
0: ended up. No, nice, nice. What could you start in dancing?
1: I started dancing when I was three. So I've always loved dance and dance is always how I've connected when I've moved to a new city. My dad was air force. We moved around a lot and every time we would move, I would just find a new dance studio where I could instantly find people who, you know, were like me, had similar interests. So it was like kind of plugging into an instant set of friends because you already have something in common. You don't have to figure out what that one thing is. So as a kid, I would always try to find a dance studio and When my, when the insurance company moved me out to Pittsburgh, I didn't know anyone out there and I really wanted to find people outside of work that I could relate to. I didn't want to work with people from nine to five, then hang out with them from five to seven. Like that seemed like way too much of my (laughs) life with the same people, but I'm also not a, a bar person. Like I don't just sit and hang out at a bar, which also feels super awkward when you're just single and by yourself in a new city. I'm just going to sit at a bar. That didn't seem productive. So I happened to find a dance studio where they were teaching swing dance lessons. And I thought, well, this seems like fun. And I started meeting different people. I started going out swing dancing and then I started salsa dancing and then it kind of all spun out of control in a good way from there where I was meeting people. I was not staying stuck alone in my apartment. I was out being social, but I was also doing something super active and you know dancing definitely challenges both sides of your brain so i'm learning something but i'm having fun and it was such an incredible outlet to me that i you know that's why it ended up becoming my job because it was so there's so much positive that was coming
0: from it that's great now from your experience do men use a dance class as a way to meet women
1: uh, a lot of them do sure <laughs> i think
0: that
1: <laughs> i think that there's you know the kind of neat thing about about a ballroom dance studio in general is that people come in for so many different reasons. Some people are looking to really become, you know, a standout on the dance floor. They've got a wedding or a class reunion coming up and they want to really show off some, some cool skills. They want to be one of those viral internet sensations for their surprise dance or something that they do. But there are other people that are just looking, I mean, like I was, to looking for a community of people to connect with or looking for, to help, maybe they think learning how to dance will help them overcome some shyness so there's there's a lot of reasons people come to dance and it definitely does not hurt that ladies love guys who can dance
0: oh there you go perfect <laughs> <laughs> and i was going to ask you you know in hollywood they always say you know when there's a husband and wife that are acting together or you know boyfriend girlfriend in character they eventually end up dating off screen because of the chemistry yeah. When you dance, is it similar to that where you feel like a romantic connection with your partner due to the energy between you? or uh,
1: Definitely not. I mean, there's a lot of there's character <laughs> that goes into the dance, but that would certainly be very unprofessional. Certainly, there are relationships that come from it, but every dance kind of has its own chemistry to it, if you will. And if you were to watch a dance with no chemistry, it would be the most boring routine you'd ever seen. So if you were watching someone, you know, especially people always think about tango, right? Scent of a woman, Al Pacino. Right. Um, If he were to do that with zero expression, zero emotion, it wouldn't have had at all the same effect. It would just be two people moving in space uh, at the same time together. It's the character that you bring to the dance that brings it to life.
0: That's beautiful. I love it. Now you actually started teaching veteran amputees how to salsa and you found an organization that accomplishes that. Tell me about the organization and maybe the impact it's having on the veterans that you're working with.
1: Yeah, the organization is called Soldiers to Salsa. And unfortunately, it's not active any longer. There is definitely some hope that, that we can pick that back up in the future. But um, as a lot of nonprofits do, we struggled with funding and grants and keeping the, it going financially. But while it was going from 2010 to uh, closed finally in 2018, the it was it was just really incredible thing that just sort of started as a small idea that like maybe if if these men and women uh, who are all combat injured in some way shape or form if dance can help them in some way um, you know that's that was my way of giving back and I started talking about it to some of my fellow dance instructors from having left the ballroom dance world when I moved out here to San Diego. I thought, like, I would just tell my, my, you know, my friends from that were still teaching like, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, here's this guy who's been fitted with a prosthetic and, you know, he can walk and he can run, but you should see this guy dance. This is really cool what's happening. And not only that, but a, a guy who comes in kind of with a grumpy face or sad or distracted by all the other stuff going on in an hour of a dance class he's now laughing and cracking jokes and smiling and there's been a huge change in just an hour and wow this is really cool I should wonder hey could you guys do this in the town where you are and that's kind of where this thing just sort of took on a life of its own where the by the by the end we're working with not just veterans with limb amputations sometimes one sometimes two and sometimes sometimes none um, some with traumatic brain injuries a lot with post traumatic stress where there's so many benefits that they were getting through dancing that it just it really I mean it really caught on I mean that's what got us that invitation to that White House summit where we were talking specifically about the positive impact of dance as an alternative therapy for female veterans of military sexual trauma. So having, creating an environment where they felt safe to be in the company of others again, safe to make physical contact with someone again, safe to make eye contact, where it was okay to laugh, where it's okay to smile again and to let themselves have a little bit of fun. I mean, there are so I mean the the list of benefits of what this program was able to accomplish just you know it goes on and on and there's so many different levels that it was not just fun time happy dance party. You know, dance is the dance was just the vehicle we used to get
0: there. That's wonderful. I love it. And I know that you've been to the White House and you've even had a flag flown in your honor. We'd love for you to share the details and what led to it happening.
1: Oh man, that was, that was one of the most humbling days of my life when I got this flag in the mail. Part of what we did, you know, we had these t-shirts printed up, like a lot of charities do, you know, one of our fundraisers, we put our logo on a t-shirt said soldiers who salsa. And on the back was transforming lives one Dance step at a time. And we would have these shirts and someone, someone had one and it ended up, with them on their deployment to Afghanistan. And people started asking what this was about. And someone ended up contacting me asking like, Hey, how can we get t-shirts for here in Afghanistan? And I was like, Oh, but I, I didn't, I didn't even know. Of course. Yeah. Salsa night in Afghanistan, they were having salsa night as part of a, a division called MWR morale, welfare and recreation in the military where they would have like a salsa night for the troops that are deployed on different bases. You know, you got to have something to to do a little bit of stress relief when you're in such a tense situation. And they were having trouble continuing to get funding for the, their salsa night. So when they told me that I said, we're on it. I don't know how, <laughs> but I will, I will sponsor your salsa nights. Don't you dare stop. I will find a way. I will find if it's money that you need, I will find it. If it's support that you need, I will find it, whatever it is. Because I thought like, if I can do something for these men and women who are, who are literally sacrificing their lives for us, I mean, that's the absolute very least I can do. So we would send them boxes of t-shirts. We sent them CDs. We sent them you know, little backpacks and just constantly letting them know that we have their support and that even if they're not in the news, there are a huge community of us that have not forgotten that they are deployed and that they are important to us. So we would all, I, I just always wanted to make sure that they knew that if they're not, if they're no longer in mainstream news, I know that they're there. There's a whole bunch of us that really care about them. And we haven't forgotten. And so, you know, one day I get this package in the mail and it says it's from Afghanistan. And I was like, what in the world? And I open it up and there's this American flag, you know, folded in the perfect triangle. And it's got a certificate that says, you know, this flag has been flown in your honor over Kandahar Airfield. And I just started to sob. I was so whew, choked up right now. It was such an emotional experience for me because I didn't expect anything back from them. I, you know, it was an honor to be able to help them in the smallest of ways. I mean, like, it's just a t-shirt, but a t-shirt to them meant that it's like a physical representation that there are people at home who are still thinking about me and are still care, care about us. And there was a letter inside signed by a lot of the dancers on base, again, thanking us for everything that we were doing. There's a piece of a a replica piece of a T wall, which is the concrete barrier between, you know, where where the border between where the base ends and the country starts. There's a a piece of that that they had all signed for me. There was a challenge coin in there. It was, it was so humbling. And I felt such gratitude for being able to be of service in some way to people who I think are heroes.
0: No, absolutely. What an unbelievable example in, uh, in gratitude. Just amazing. Really, really yeah. love that. You know, yeah. and I know, Jen, you know, so many people right now, they're really struggling with understanding the difference between what it means to be successful and what it means to be happy. You know, they believe that all their happiness is wrapped up in corporate achievement and monetary gains, but their true passion lies elsewhere. But yeah. they're fearful of risk and they're fearful of failure. What advice would you give to those people?
1: Oh, I was stuck there for so long. I think that the challenge is that I tied my happiness and my worth, my value to the job that I had versus the kind of person that I was inside. So if I didn't have the job, if I wasn't, you know, a successful underwriter, a successful business person, then what was I? And I put all of this, all of, I took, put all the power really in something outside of me that I, didn't necessarily have all the control over, I gave it to something else other than to myself. So, I mean, this, our current economic cycle is a great example of that. Jobs aren't guaranteed, you might, you might get laid off. And if you put all of your value of who you are and all of your self-worth is tied to a specific job or title, that job or title might change. And if all of your eggs are in that basket and that basket is gone, what are you left with? So if you're not working on yourself and your self-worth and realizing that you have all the tools that you need already built inside of you, you are great because of some of the things that you do, not because of the job, but because of who you are on the inside. That's, that's when you can stand Strong in and kind of weather these storms of change. And if you do want to take that leap of faith, take it. Like the worst that's going to happen is it doesn't work out and you have to try something new. But for me, I can't stay stuck in the fear of not knowing what if. That's a riskier place to be. That's a, I will probably ruminate for way longer than is healthy, wondering, yeah, but what if I had just tried?
0: No, absolutely. I completely agree with that. Why do you think, Jen, people are so obsessed with others think about them and how they're viewed by others?
1: That's a, that's a society thing, right? I mean, I think about this from all the way back to when we were kids. When you were a kid, when you would meet someone, one of the first things that the adults love to ask children is, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, and like get, they get adults give us this positive encouragement, and positive feedback when we say something like astronaut or president or doctor or lawyer. When we choose something that some adult gives us, they're like, oh, they're so excited about this great choice that we're thinking about as like five-year-olds that we really start that programming in really young that, you know, think about it in, in, in high school. Where are you going to go to school? What are you going to study? What is it going to be your major? Everything is defined by this other choice that you're making, not about like what kind of impact you want to make on the world. Okay, well, maybe here's a job that you can use to get there, but we're focused on the job and not the impact. Does that make sense?
0: No, it really does. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's, hey, you're 30 years old, why are you not married? Or, gee, you have this job, why don't you own a home? Or, you know, everybody's judging you based on every single aspect of your life. It's very weird. Yeah,
1: exactly. And no one's asking, are you happy?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. That's exactly right. Now, But it's tough because you could be happy. Right. because of being judged and what other people think about you, you're not fitting in and you're not getting that acceptance. You're not getting that acceptance that uh, you're looking for. So that could make you depressed and rethink the path that you're on. So it's a very slippery slope. It now is. on that note, Jen, I had a quick question. I read somewhere that you, you had mentioned you're rocking the spinster life, right? Uh, <laughs> what does that mean? Cause I didn't, I know, I didn't know what that word meant. I had to look it up, but I would <laughs> love to hear from you and that, what that uh, means to you.
1: A great friend of mine actually started a podcast called That Spinster Life. And she was reclaiming the word spinster in the old definition of taking raw material and spinning it into yarn. Like a if you look at the original definition of what a spinster is, it is someone taking raw material and using the the, you know, losing a loom to spin it into yarn that can be used towards something else. So it's literally somebody taking taking and creating and spinning into existence something that is useful and beneficial for everyone. So I love this concept of uh, reclaiming the negativity of that word of just being, you know, a single (laughs) female to I'm someone who finds raw material and I spin it into something I spin this new creative thing into existence that didn't exist before. I I'm taking what I see around me. And it's like that quote, um, be the change you want to see in the world. I'm S I see what I want to make. It doesn't exist yet. Well then I'm going to take it on. I'm going to create it.
0: No, absolutely. I love it. Now. Why do you think women or professional women, your leaders and entrepreneurs are struggling to maintain relationships?
1: Oh, that's way out of my field. <laughs> that's way out of my field. I can teach them how to cha-cha, um, but relationship advice is definitely not something that uh, that I would profess to be an expert in.
0: Well, not advice, but just what do you think the the issue is? I mean, if you identify certain problems, or you know, it could be they have extremely high standards. It could be their high maintenance. It could be that the work life balance is off, and they have they can't disconnect when they get home from work. I mean, I just know that a lot of professional women, and of course men too. I mean, I'm not gonna you know, take them out of the uh, equation. But a lot of women had to in in executive roles have a tough time maintaining relationships I've seen and I've experienced. I didn't know if you have seen the same thing and if you kind of can attribute that to a few different factors.
1: Well, I certainly wouldn't call a woman high maintenance. Um, I would say well, that- Some of are has,
0: high maintenance, right?
1: <laughs> some men are high maintenance. I don't think that's an a attribute just about women. <laughs> okay. Um, but I I think that there's, there's a different expectation um, and we have a lot of different possibilities right now. And I don't, you know, if I go back to, you know, my, my mom's era, my grandmother's era, there weren't as many opportunities for women and the role that that was expected was that they would get married, have kids and raise their kids. And that's an incredible job. But now that there's more opportunity, there's more things open to them. uh, There's not, I mean, I had a guy tell me that I was intimidating and I asked him like, are you kidding? How am I intimidating? I'm like happy, goofy. I do improv. I'm like, I'm just a silly human. And he said, yeah, but you, you don't need a guy. You have started these, this charity. You've gone to the white house. You have successful businesses. You've done all this stuff. You're so independent. He's like, you're so, you know, that's intimidating to a guy. And I was like, well, maybe to a guy like you. But <laughs> um I mean, I I don't need someone to be complete. I'm a complete human. If I find someone who can complement my life, then that's then that's worth entertaining. But feeling like I have to or I need to kind of goes back to what you're saying before about some sort of societal pressure. Right. That's that's not there anymore.
0: No, definitely. I'm glad that you don't feel that pressure. It's interesting so the success intimidated that person. That's very interesting.
1: Yeah, and then I was like I was like I would think that I would want to find a partner who is excited about that and who right. would be proud of that and be like, "Yeah, I mean, cuz on the flip side, I would be excited and proud and I'd be telling everybody about what my partner did because that to me is what a partnership looks like.
0: Definitely. I think a lot of men struggle with what that man struggled with is the fact that he probably felt inadequate and not good enough. You know, in your shadow, and there's again, it's a societal thing where the man is supposed to be here and the woman's supposed to be there, and if it's vice versa, obviously that person is worried about the image that that conveys. So, very, very interesting stuff. Yeah. Now, now Jen, quick, tell me about your team building events. I hear great things about these events. Tell me about what you're currently doing, what you're up to, and uh, and I love to hear about the events the
1: events that we've been doing have really i mean what an incredible pivot from the coronavirus prior to prior to the world turning upside down like it did in 2020 i was really excited to do these in person team building events where we would because it's San Diego again we can be outside year round we're playing silly games we're sending them on silly scavenger hunts we're just having people get out of their office, off of their computers, face-to-face, laughing and connecting. And I loved, loved that aspect of my job. Again, it goes back all the way to that same feeling I had in my 20s coming out of college where I felt like I was making a direct impact on people um, and not staying stuck at a desk. And then, you know, we really had to pivot of, are we going to wait? you know, the the lockdown is supposed to be three weeks. Can we wait three weeks and then we're all going to be back? And when that looked like that wasn't happening, how do we then transition into building, doing team building events, but through Zoom, which felt really obviously impersonal. But we've, we've been able to come up with online versions of these different team building events that we do where people are again doing it. Yes. They're having to sign in from the computer, but we've got people laughing and virtually meeting people from their office that they either haven't seen in a long time, or some of them are even new hires that have come on during this time. Who've never met their coworkers and are getting a chance to interact with them in a fun way, in a silly way, having a good time and laughing and providing some sort of like light entertainment, fun, laughter that is so desperately needed right now.
0: I love it. And you have the perfect personality for it. I mean, you have the perfect mix of entertainment, engagement, and education. It's just wonderful. You know, you have the awesome experience. You have all of those things that people need. And it's so needed right now. People are so disconnected. They feel all alone, you know, on a private island. So for you to connect them with each other and really bring them out of their shell is so needed right now. And I'm sure productivity is is way up and happiness is way up as well.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, it's, it's another like classic example of, I found a way to use what I personally am, am good at and what I enjoy doing. And I found a way to do that through a job. I wasn't looking for the job to do that for me. I I was the driver of that. Like, this is what I'm good at. I love to teach. I love to entertain. I like to make people laugh. I, I, you know, and I'm, and I'm good at these things. So here's a way I can be of service to my community through the things that I, the natural gifts that I actually possess.
0: I love it, Jen. It's fantastic. It's been amazing. Any last uh, words of wisdom or anything you'd like to share with the audience before we wrap up?
1: I think that there's a real danger, especially when you're talking with a lot of like the entrepreneurs that, that um, that are your listeners of where we do get really tied up in our worth and our value being connected to our jobs. And part of also what I do is I, you know, I teach these workshops and seminars on really helping people separate those two things out, you know, being on, working on these different lists of how can I be stronger in my own identity as a, as a human being walking this earth versus being defined by the jobs that I do or the hobbies that I take on or the roles that I have to play. And when you're stronger in those, you can show up better in your job, in your relationships, in all of these other things. So it's really important that we, that we realize that there has to be a separation between those two things.
0: It's fantastic. I love it. Now, very last question, Jen, it's just a personal question to get to know you just a little bit better. You're going to be on an Island for the rest of your life. You can only bring one book, one movie, and one album. What would they be?
1: Uh, One book, one movie, one album. Well, the album is really easy for me because everybody knows that I have an obsession with John legend. I love his music. I love his voice. I've been to 27 of his concerts. So, um, super fan level. So it would definitely be John legend's album, get lifted. One of my favorites of all time movie. I'm going to say I would bring Austin powers gold member because it's (laughs) silly. It makes me laugh. And if I'm alone on a desert Island, I'm going to need some laughter. I'm going to need some sort of distraction um, through the whole thing. And I, it's one of those movies that I've watched so many times and I still laugh every time. (laughs) Um, and for a great one for that, for a book would be Brene Brown Braving the Wilderness, because I would be alone in that wilderness and I would probably be saying a lot of things to myself that were not helpful. And Brene Brown is incredible at getting you to work on yourself and the way you talk to yourself. And I think that would be very helpful if I was alone on an island.
0: There you go. And I love how you answered that question in reverse, it was great. <laughs> Now, Jen, how do people get in touch with you, connect with you, utilize your services?
1: Real easy. Just my name.com. Jenables.com. Jenables.com.
0: Wonderful, Jen. It's been fantastic. Loved it. Have a great rest of the day.
1: Absolutely. Let's, let's stay
0: connected and keep up the good work.
1: Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to speak with you.
0: Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for spending time with us today. We encourage you to join the many businesses that we have helped to achieve their objectives, align their departments, and increase their revenue. You can start by reaching out to us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we will make small adjustments that will lead to major impacts to your business, your culture, and your bottom line.